and she is completely flat. Like her shoulder blades and her back just go straight down, and it's like the definition of laughing your ass off. <laughs> oh, she's recording. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> we had campfire stories last week. Today we're discussing butts. Welcome to Murder and Mystery. I'm your host, Summer. And I'm Lisa. This week, we're going to go about our regularly scheduled program. No specials this week, but um, did want to invite you guys to interact with us a little bit. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email. We'd like to hear some of your stories, maybe some suggestions for different murders, mysteries you guys might like to hear about. Um, anyway, hit us up. Murder and Mystery Cast at gmail.com, Murder and Mystery on Instagram, Murder and Mystery Podcast on Facebook. There you go. All right. Simple, <laughs> simple. But uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys, love to interact. And this week, I am in charge of murder. And we're going to be talking about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Um, not too many people know about this. We're going back to 1946. So, a little before some of our time. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, this uh, series of murders actually inspired a movie, and the movie was called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Um, apparently, I've talked to several people, and they've seen this movie, and it was pretty decent. came out in 1976. That was about a little town called Texarkana. We're going back to spring of 1946. Son of Sam, the Zodiac Killer, all these very notorious couple killers, quote-unquote. Um, this was like probably one of the first pretty well documented ones. They called this person the Phantom Slayer and was credited with attacking eight people and killing a, at least five within 10 weeks in the town of Texarkana, Texas. Oh, wow. Never apprehended. They've never found it. So we're dealing with a mystery just like the other serial killers. But uh, this, this person, whoever this is, could have inspired some of these acts that we've seen before in Son of Sam, Zodiac. I mean, the uh, movie came out in 76, so we're even predating Son of Sam. And I've right? never heard, i would never heard of this. I've never even seen the movie. Well, see, we're going to have to, we're going to have to rent it and yeah. watch it. Movie night. <laughs> okay, so the span of these crimes of the Phantom Slayer, they started in February uh, the 22nd, 1946, and went all the way through May 3rd. So, oh. several months here that we're dealing with, um... Put this very, very small town into a complete panic. The attacks that happened on the weekend of February 22nd was with a man named Jimmy Hollis and a man, a woman named Mary Larry. I hope I'm saying her last name right. <laughs> they were attacked, but they survived this double murder attempt. Okay. Um, the first actual murder happened with a Richard Griffin and a Polly Ann Moore, it happened four weeks after the first attempted murder had happened. Okay, so he tried it, didn't quite get it right, and so the next time decided to, he did better. He did better. He hit his goal the second okay. time around. Um, so they were just a practice swing. They were. They were. And he swung a couple more times. Uh, the second double homicide was with a man named Paul Martin and his girlfriend, Betty Jo Booker. And it was three weeks after the first murder. So we go four oh. weeks, and then we go three weeks. So he's getting a little a little more vicious in his attempts. He's he's not being Picking able to up wait the so pace. long. Yes, you know, devolving, as they say, yes. criminal minds, you know. And three weeks after that, 
Virgil Starks and his wife Katie were severely wounded and Virgil Starks was killed. Oh, so the wife his, lived? His wife lived, yes, and he, wow. and he was killed. Um, they even called in the Texas Rangers to come investigate, which in 1946 was the biggest deal. It was like calling in the FBI, you know, to come okay. in and investigate these things. I'm assuming that's not the baseball team, right? No, not the baseball team. We're talking law enforcement, Chuck Norris, Texas Ranger. <laughs> oh, and Chuck Norris couldn't handle it? Not, not this time, I guess. Wow. Well, a little before his time. I think he was born <laughs> in the 50s, right? <laughs> so, uh, like I said, you know... For such a small town, because it is a very small border town between Texas and Oklahoma, um, it was unheard of for any type of this kind of stuff to go on. Murders in general, you know, were just really rare. So to have all these double killings within weeks of each other. Yeah. I mean, we they went into mass hysteria. They were talking about the city uh, started a curfew at dusk. All Everybody was supposed to barricade themselves in their house. They... Uh, Encourage people to arm themselves and not mm-hmm. go anywhere by themselves to go, you know, make sure you went in pairs. And uh, the police were actually patrolling streets and neighborhoods during the night. They would have everybody out, you know, all the police force out just sweeping the streets. Okay. And so they were patrolling the streets. It said that, you know, businesses closed, the sidewalks rolled up at dusk because of all this stuff. Oh, that's um, an interesting technology in the 40s. Right. <laughs> so uh of course like most small towns rumors gossip Mm -hmm. you know things were things were going um people said that maybe the killer was part of the police force and that was the reason that they were never caught was because you know okay um that's an interesting theory. Um, they There's even a rumor going around that two more people had been killed but was concealed by the police for some reason. Wow. Um, and not connected to it on purpose. Like, not connected with the serial killer on purpose. Did they say who or why? I don't, I don't know because, I mean, this was just gossip. This was just mm-hmm. random, you know, stuff. Um, I don't think anybody was ever named. But the town thought, you know, there were rumors that maybe a higher up in the police force, captain, chief, maybe had something to do with it. Okay. And was able to conceal evidence and, you know, maybe change things to make it look like it was just a drifter or somebody that had come Uh through town, you know. That was just randomly killing people. Randomly killing people in twos. They knew. And I mean, uh, we'll get into the places here in just a minute, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that this was like lover's lane type catching them out around the lake by themselves type murders, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, there's also a disappearance of just a woman by herself. Her name was Virginia Carpenter. It was in 1948, but they also speculate that it was the work of this phantom slayer. Never oh. confirmed death, but they never found her either. So, oh, so this guy went from couples to, to just this one random woman. One random and woman. And did not murder, but just kidnapped. That she just disappeared. disappeared. Nobody. But maybe but that rumor mill. Higher up. Maybe so. Maybe. You know. Had something to Lover do with it. Lover of the police of chief. Chief of police. Chief, police chief, of chief. chief. The police of chief. <laughs> <laughs> um, they did have a prime suspect in the case. Um, it was a man named Yule Swinney. 
Okay. Um, they said that uh, was linked to the murder by statements made from his wife, who's acting kind of strangely. Um, oh. But she refused to testify against him, and therefore he was never convicted. There was, okay. you know, so there was enough to go on that they had thought about trying to to prosecute, but because she was the lone complainant, she was the only one that had information. Then she refused to testify. It never went anywhere. Okay. Um, two of the lead investigators in the case, however, believed him to be guilty. That he, they, they did believe that he was the lone murderer. There's actually a book that came out in 2014 called The Phantom Killer, Unlocking the Mystery of the Texarkana Serial Murders by a Dr. James Presley that also points to Sweeney as the culprit of all five attacks. Interesting. So, they say that, uh... So, but because she wouldn't testify against her husband... They had nothing really to go on. I mean, back then, of course, DNA wasn't a thing. Right. You know, and they had information from her that, you know, he maybe wasn't at the house during these murders. She couldn't account for his whereabouts. Maybe he was acting strangely. Okay, but then which, when it came down to it, she wouldn't, like, on the record. Uh, of course, yeah. When she, I mean, she would talk until it came to something official. Okay. You know. But uh, we'll we'll break down a little bit about the uh, little little things about the murders. Little things that led them to believe that this was a serial happening. Okay. So, let's see. Um, they were both, uh, or all of these were on a secluded road known as Lover's Lane. Okay. Um, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry, Mary Larry, had been uh, seeing a movie together and then took off on down Lover's Lane. It was an, on an unpaved street about 100 yards from the last row of city homes. So, it was out of city limits mm-hmm. a little bit, just a little bit. Okay. They say at 11.55, a man wearing a white cloth mask that resembled a pillowcase with eyes uh, cut out of it appeared in the driver's side door, shined a flashlight in the window, and he wasn't sure if it was one of his friends that were pranking him or what, so he was just kind of joking around, and Jimmy Hollis threw his hands up and said, oh, not me, you know, you got the wrong person, I'm not doing anything, thinking that maybe it was one of his friends. The guy just replied, listen, I don't want to kill you, so do what I say. Uh-huh. So, Hollis and Larry were ordered out of the driver's side door, so they got out where the man was. They, he ordered Jimmy Hollis to take his pants off. After he complied, he struck him in the head with the pistol. And then, uh, Mary Larry told the investigators that the noise that he, he used to, this, when he struck was so loud that she thought he had been shot... But he actually had fractured his skull. He hit him so hard. He hit him so hard that it sounded like a gunshot to her standing next to him. And that it had fractured his skull quite quite badly. And uh, Mary thought that the guy was out to rob them. So she grabbed his wallet and said, hey, listen, man, we have no money. She opened it up to show him. Then she was struck with something on the back of the head as well. Uh, Did she get to keep her pants on? I guess so. It didn't say... I think he was just mad that she had tried to give him money. <laughs> um, so uh, she he hits her in the head. She kind of stumbles, doesn't quite pass out. He orders her to stand up and told her to run. Okay. 
said that she tried, she said she tried to run towards a ditch, but then he ordered her to run in a different direction up the road. And, and that's when she spotted an old car parked off the road, but it was empty and he was following her. So he was giving her a head start. He was giving her a head start. He wanted to make chase, it seems like. So when she responded, he asked her, hey, why are you running? He's yelling at her. Hey, why are you running? She said, well, you told me to run. (laughs) (laughs) He calls her a liar. He knocks her down, kicks her in the stomach, and tries to sexually assault her with his gun. Ugh. Yes. After the assault, she got up, she runs half a mile to a nearby house, and by then, I guess the guy had taken off. You know, she was able to wake up a resident and phone the police. They go back, and he's left Jimmy Hollis at the scene with a fractured skull. And no pants. And no pants. I don't understand the taking his pants off. That doesn't make any sense. You know, after I read this and I thought about it, I think what he was trying to do was make it look like... He had tried to assault Mary Larry. His pants were off. She was going to be sexually assaulted. And then okay. maybe he had plans to kill them or had plans to kill him. So it looked like somebody brave had stopped him from assaulting this woman. Okay. Potentially. I don't know. Or maybe like a murder-suicide Kinda, or something. Yeah, something, something like that. But okay. I think that the pants were connected more to her assault than, okay. you know, he survives. They can't really decide what this guy looks like. Mary Larry claimed that the man was wearing a white bag over his head. She said that she could see under the mask and thought that he was an African-American male. But then Jimmy Hollis says, no, this guy's white. I saw his face. He's white. I would say he's about 30 years old. But then he finally says, you know, hey, I was blindsided with a flashlight Maybe he was, and maybe he wasn't. Skull fracture, I, I mean. Had a skull fracture, definitely probably had a little bit of amnesia, maybe some memory loss from that, you know. Yeah. So law enforcement repeatedly challenged Mary Larry's account and believed that she and Hollis maybe had known the attacker and was trying to cover for him. I uh-huh. don't know why that would be a thing. I don't know why they would think that she wanted to cover for this person that sexually assaulted her with a gun. And, and tried to kill her boyfriend. Yeah. his skull. No, yeah. I think after that I wouldn't be covering for him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that was in February, and this goes out, this is his first actual murder. Okay. It's on March 24th, so just okay, like four so... weeks later. Not very long. Right. Richard Griffin, his name, he's 29 years old. He has a girlfriend of only six weeks. Pollyanna Moore was 17 at the time. Wow. Okay. They were found dead in his 1941 Oldsmobile on the 24th of March by a passing motorist at uh, approximately 8.30 to 9 a.m. The motorist saw the car parked on Lover's Lane near the railroad, and um, it was close to this nightclub called Club Dallas. And they pulled into there and saw that there were people inside the vehicle. They thought that they were asleep at first. And then uh, went closer and found out that they were actually deceased. Griffin was found between the front seat on his knees with his head resting on his crossed hands and his pockets turned inside out. Oh. Like somebody had, you know, told him to get down, you know, and Uh tried to rob him, basically. Yeah. Moore was found sprawled out face down in the back seat. 
There's evidence to suggest that she was actually killed on a blanket outside of the car okay. and then placed in the car face down. Okay. Griffin, the man, had been shot twice while still, still sitting in the car. Both had been shot in the back of the head and both were fully clothed. A blood-soaked patch of dirt near the car is why they suggested that maybe she had been killed outside okay. and posed in the back. Um, congealed blood had been found on the running board, so there was drippage. Somebody mm-hmm. had been, she had been moved. A, a 32 cartridge shell had been found and possibly shot from a Colt pistol that was wrapped inside a blanket they found. Okay. Of course, no DNA. I mean, they did fingerprints, but, like, how in the world? I mean, we have, like, CODIS now that has all the DNA and all their fingerprints right at an instant. But in 1946, how long is it going to take somebody to compare fingerprints at that point? Even if that person had been in the system. Yeah. You know. There's actually no reports. A pathologist never actually did a full autopsy. Actual autopsy done. Local rumor said that she was sexually assaulted. But they have nothing, no paperwork or anything like that to back it up. So very similar, you know, the sexual assault of the woman, you know, the man being made to do something, you know, this time he had his hands crossed and had his arms put down. In response to these murders, of course, like I said, very small town, the police launch a citywide investigation. They block off roads. They do, you know, road stops Mm -hmm. trying to possibly find... Somebody that they didn't know, somebody out of sorts, you know. Somebody carrying a pillowcase with a holes. (laughs) Somebody with a pillowcase mask in the front seat beside them, you know. (laughs) They got the sheriff's department in, local law enforcement in, you know, for these murders. And um, by March 27th, which was just three days later, the local police had actually interviewed up to 65 witnesses. Wow. I mean, they were were doing something. Yes. They were absolutely going door to door, knocking, you know, asking, have you seen suspicion? Have you, you know, anything like that? Um, They had talked to everybody that was in Club Dallas, all of the employees of Club Dallas, to try to, you know, see if they had seen anything Mm -hmm. or heard anything out of the ordinary. Um, they posted a $500 reward in effort to gain any new information, but nothing really came up. They produced over 100 false leads talking to people. So it was mm-hmm. kind of a double-edged sword. They got some information, but then they were kind of sent on a goose chase. Right. So they're still investigating that. April 13th comes around, which is about three weeks later. So um, on the evening of April 13th, Betty Jo Booker, who is 15 years old, had a gig with her band at the VFW in Texarkana. Uh, she was a saxophone player and regularly did this weekend gig, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and around 1.30 a.m., so I'm assuming this was like a dance, like a community dance right. thing. At 1.30, um, her friend Paul Martin, who was 17, arrived to pick her up. And that was the last time anybody's seen them alive. Okay, and so if this was a regular thing, then this was a normal routine yes, that probably many people knew, knew about. Yes. And so um, Paul Martin's body was found around 6.30 that morning, um, laying on his left side on the northern edge of North Park Road. Um, there was blood found further down and on the other side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times. This time, face in the ribs, a third time in the right hand, so he was definitely trying to defend himself. 
and finally through the back of the neck, almost execution style. So this was a lot more aggressive. And, and a lot and a lot sloppier, yeah. honestly, because uh, we have Richard Griffin and Pollyanne Moore who were shot in the back of the head, shot twice. I mean, what one would can probably consider a clean kill mm-hmm. in the back of the head, execution style. And then posed in their car. Yes. Yes. And he's found laying on the side of the road with just gunshot wounds everywhere. All over. Yeah. And Betty Jo Booker's body was not found until eleven thirty that morning. Wow. So several hours in between. And she was two miles away from his body and was moved behind a tree. She was found by some people who had joined the search party looking for evidence of Martin's murder. They okay. were looking for any they were looking for any kind of clues as to what happened maybe to him. They were searching canvassing the area in a couple mile, you know, perimeter and found yeah. her behind a tree. Um not many people, I guess, besides his family knew that he was picking her up. So they didn't really know. So had she not been maybe had her family not reported her missing? I'm not sure at 15 years old, you would think she was living with Somebody, right? You know, and if he's if they're doing a search for evidence and his murder's been na- made known, yes, you would think her family would be saying, "Hey, he was picking her up and she's not home." Yes, see, so so I'm not sure. That's weird. You know, that it's a it's a little strange. But she was found two miles away. She was found two miles tree. away behind a tree. Uh, she was laying on her back, fully clothed, and the her right hand in her pocket of a buttoned overcoat. She would have been posed. So she had been posed. Yes. She had been shot twice, once through the chest and once in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, the weapon used was the same as in the previous double murder. It was a thirty-two automatic Colt pistol. Okay. So they knew that the ammo was the same. They knew mm-hmm. that the, the weapon was, was the same. His car was actually found three miles away from Betty Joe's body and about a mile and a half away from his body. Okay something's gone on whatever it was it was parked outside of spring lake park with the keys still in the ignition the authorities were not sure who was shot first they could never ascertain who was killed where um it kind of sounds like betty joe was killed first and then he was killed and then the car was moved because the car was closer to him than it was to her yeah the authorities like said texas rangers are still you know now working this case said that the examinations of the bodies indicated that they had both put up a struggle, so they were both fighting for it. Martin's friend said he did not believe that an argument had happened between the victims and that Martin hadn't had any enemies, so he didn't think that this had anything to do really with Betty Jo or anybody else that had been, you know, involved with him. Law enforcement never located Betty Jo Booker's saxophone. They never knew what happened to it. It was not in the car. They couldn't find it. Eventually, it was discovered six months li- six months after her murder, in October, still in its black case in underbrush where her body had been found. So somebody had taken the time to hide her saxophone. Her saxophone, for That's some reason. Very odd, right? And also odd that police did not find this, even though it was in near proximity to And you to think they would be combing the area for evidence. Which may be the reason that people thought law enforcement could have 
potentially been involved. Yeah. You know. If they're missing evidence. The more you learn about it, the more it doesn't seem so far-fetched, right? Right. Um, so uh, the reward fund gets bumped up dramatically. $1,700 in 1946. This was mm-hmm. a lot of money. Right. For information leading to anybody that was responsible for Griffin and Moore's murders, also now Martin and Booker's murders. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, remember, we're eight weeks into this. Mm-hmm. And so this town is just completely flipped upside down. Like, this is unheard of. These murders were probably, I'm just going to venture a guess, probably more murders than they've seen in 20 years mm-hmm. combined right. in six to eight weeks. Like, yeah. you know, just right here. And uh, so, um, of course, rumors start spreading through the town. Rumors of police involvement. Rumors suggesting a local minister had turned in his own uh, his own son as a suspect in the Martin and, and Booker murder. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if any of that was ever substantiated, if that was even a real thing, but the, the rumor mill was just going crazy in this tiny little town. So this is kind of almost a reminiscent, well, a, kind of a flash forward to the Zodiac and yeah. the... My, I, my dad, dad did, did it. it. It was my son did it this my time. My son did you know. it. My husband so, did it. Yeah. You can always de- depend on somebody trying to get that money, I think. Might be, right. You know, the thing. So, um, on April 18th, the police captain issued a statement to the public during a press conference verifying that the murder ha- murderer had still not been caught and that the rumors circulating amongst the public and in the newspapers were actually a hindrance to the investigation and urged people to keep harmful gossip to a minimum. This <laughs> is the chief that. of police. This is the chief of police urging people not to talk about the fact that the police might be involved. <laughs> <laughs> and so we move forward to May 3rd. This is going to be the final two murders. This happens on a Friday. This is Virgil Starks, age 37, a farmer and a welder. He was at his, you know, very modest ranch ranch home, like a 500-acre farm, which in Texas is not much, you know, mm-hmm. especially at that time. They ran a lot of cattle and things like that in, in Texarkana. This is about 10 miles northeast of town. Said that he was listening to a radio show with his wife. She's 36. She had given him a um, hot water bottle. His back had been sore. Uh-huh. So they were sitting in their living room. They were listening to the radio, and uh, while Katie was in the bedroom, lying on her bed, she heard something from the backyard and asked her husband to turn the radio down so they could hear any other noises. Um, Just a few seconds later, two shots are fired in the back of his head. Yeah. Oh, Um, wow. From a closed double window three feet away, so right outside the window. She hears something outside. He turns the radio down. Turns his attention to the newspaper. He picked up the newspaper, and somebody outside that window shoots twice, hitting him in the back of the head, less than three feet Through away. Through the window. Through the window. This this said that Katie didn't hear the gunshots. She she heard glass breaking. Mm-hmm. So she thought that he had dropped something, and went to see what happened to ask if she needed he needed help to pick it up. Right. Um, as she entered the doorway to the living room where she was, she saw him stand up and then slump back in his chair. Oh. So he's shot, gets stunned, tries to stand up, and immediately passes out. Um, she saw the blood. She goes over to try to help him. She realizes that he's instantly dead. 
She runs to the phone to call the police. Of course, this is 1946. They have print phones, you know. Uh She rang the police twice, was able to contact the police, not get anything out, but able to try to contact the Uh police before being shot twice in the face from the same window. Oh, wow. One bullet entered through her right cheek and exited out her left ear. And the other went just below her lip, breaking her jaw and splintering out several teeth before it got lodged under her tongue. She dropped to her knees, but soon managed to get back to her feet. She ran to get the pistol from their living room that they carried, but was blinded by her own blood and stumbled and fell. Um, She heard the the killer tearing loose on the rusted rusted screen wire on the back porch, so was trying to get the screen wire open. Uh Uh-huh. She thought that she was going to be killed, so she tried to stumble backwards and get to the bedroom so she could shut the door. Mm Mm-hmm. She was running to get paper to leave a note to tell people what had happened. Because she thought she was dying. Right. Um, So the killer ran to the back of the house, made his way up the steps to the screened-in porch. Um, She heard him breaking through the the stuff and into the kitchen window. Uh, She turned around, ran through the dining room, ran through the bedroom, down the hallway, through the other bedroom. And then in the living room and out the front door. And they said that they you could see everywhere she went because it was just a river of blood through the house. She was bleeding so much. Wow. And um, found teeth throughout the house where she was losing teeth where oh. she had been shot in the face. Um, she was barefoot. She ran across the street to her sister's house. Her sister lived right across the street. No one was home, so she ran 50 more yards to a neighbor's house. He opens the door. She yells, Virgil's dead, and passes out. So, he uh, gets a neighbor. The, the neighbor that she had went to summons a neighbor over, tells them what had happened, goes over to the house to try to see if they could see anybody. Instead of calling um, the police? I guess somebody else had stayed with her to, get, to try to get a hold of the police, but the neighbor ran over, grabbed a shotgun, was firing shots in the air, trying to scare somebody out from around that. To see if they could go find the killer, find who had Uh been around the house. She had been in a semi-conscious state now. She had woken up. She lost a considerable amount of of blood, but had shown no signs of going into shock when they came and checked on her. You know, she had a pretty normal heart rate, so she was able to answer questions Mm -hmm. just right then, you know. Before they took her back into the operating room, Mm -hmm. they assumed that she was probably going to die. So they were trying to ask as many questions as they possibly could. She survived. Four days later, they talked to her again in the hospital. And again, you know, there's rumors circulating, you know, that this person had a vehicle, that they had seen headlights. There was all these things that she kind of put a dispel on and said, you know, this guy was just walking around our house, you know, no, we had no enemies, there wasn't any reason, I have no idea, you know, what yeah. happened. And so, her husband was his fifth victim, and they, I mean, they, everybody is on top of this now. You have the uh, Arkansas State Police come in, Texas State Police are working on it, they're, they're trying to get their reports, you know, in one direction, everybody, all these gossiping and all these rumors, mm-hmm. you know, 
They said that they thought that somebody had tried to burn Stark's body, like, after she had left to hide evidence because the chair that he was sitting in was found partially burned when the police actually got to the house. Wow. So, now they're thinking this person is desperate. They're they're trying to cover up their crimes. They're trying to get away. They set up blockades over several miles around and... um are just stopping every single person they see in a vehicle, on foot, you know, whatever the case yeah. may be. Um, they've gotten the Texas Rangers in, like I said. They, you know, have Arkansas State Police in. The Texas State Police are now working with them. They're doing everything. They've just saturated this whole town trying to find this person. Nothing is ever found. They said that there were three clues that were found at the scene. One uh, was bullets. They found the same caliber, the 32, mm-hmm. you know, Colt bullets. Um, the second was a flashlight that they had found in a hedge near one of the windows. Okay. Um, and the last was a bloody footprint uh, in the house, a shoe print on the kitchen floor. So they're finding these things that's tying it to these other yeah, scenes. Yes, the 32 Colt bullets, you know, are the all print, of the scenes. The, the flashlight. Shoe, yeah, the flashlight. Stashed under under hedges, just like the saxophone was stashed, uh-huh. you know, and stuff. So they're they're tying all of this in together. Um, that they think that this is the same person. They also think that it is it is you know not outlandish that he was driving a vehicle and parked and had walked over to the house. Right. Um. So they get bloodhounds in from the Arkansas police, uh-huh. and they go on. They found two trails that led to the highway. Both of them led to the highway before they lost the scent. Okay. So more than likely, it parked on the highway, walked over, right, rampage, done this whole thing, and then took off. They had forty-seven officers working around the clock, trying to solve this most recent uh-huh. one and placing puzzle pieces together to say, okay, this is serial. This is the same person. Right. You know, they sent the flashlight off for further inspection for fingerprints and all that stuff. The FBI got involved in it. They never found really anything other than that. But at uh, that time, they didn't have the same kind of DNA evidence exactly. that we There's have the forensic now. stuff that they had back then was nothing compared right. to you know what we, we and have even now. now they would have difficulty trying to put that kind of stuff together. Right. Yeah, the unofficial theory for the motive of this whole spree. Amongst the 47 officers was that of sexual mania. They dubbed this person a sexual deviant because there were no lar- there was large amounts of money still in the houses and on the people that had not been taken. It was not robberies, even though a couple were made to look like robberies. But not all of them were sexually assaulted. Well, see, that's the that's the I think that's why they kind of don't think the police did their absolute best. Right. You know. The women, you know, still had their purses. Their stuff had not been ransacked. You know, things like that. So, uh, the Texarkana Gazette ran a paper on May 5th in 1946 that, you know, sex maniac hunted, you know, responsible for murders was the headline. Wow. So, you know, they're kind of profiling this person and saying that, you know, sex is sexual deviant. The reward fund got bumped up to over $7,000, which in 1946 is so much money. 
the families are chipping in on this. All of yeah. these families and things like that have chipped well, in Because everybody this. wants to find this person that's doing exactly, this. Exactly, exactly. Um, they had taken up collections too. The town had, you know, given some money as well. And so they're still on the hunt for these, you know, people. The chief of police goes on the radio and says, hey, you know, we got the best people on this. We're mm-hmm. trying, you know, our hardest to all work together. And we're, you know, trying to do everything we can. We've had this sent off to the FBI. We're, uh-huh. you know, doing this and just assuring people that they're doing all that they can to solve these murders and that they do believe that it's the same person. So skip ahead to May 9th. Just a few days after this, the the police sent the flashlight off to the FBI, and on the 29th, 20 days later, they were they got a letter back saying they found no fingerprints. So whoever had had this had been wearing gloves okay. or something. They run a newspaper article. The Texarkana Gazette runs a newspaper article and posts its first colored photograph in the newspaper of this flashlight and. Everybody, the underneath it, the caption says, have you seen this two-cell flashlight? Oh. They showed a detailed colored picture the first time they okay. had ever ran a colored picture in the newspaper, saying it's linked to the Starks murder and the, the assault of his wife, you know, the attempted murder on his wife. This was found, you know, the ends are painted red. It has, you know, three rivets here, and this is the type of bulb that it uses. Do you know anybody that owns a flashlight like this? Because there's a limited number of, of flashlights in this area that have been sold. So sparing no expense. Sparing no expense. There, I mean, because in 1946, to print color was probably very expensive. Right. You know, um, you may be able to aid in the solving of these phantom slayings. There's a $7,000 reward. If you know anybody, please come forward. So... That, I mean, they ran other stuff in the newspaper, you know, asking people, you know, to, if you had anything you could recall, if you saw somebody carrying a flashlight like this, if you saw a stranger walking down the road, if you, you know, heard anything suspicious, if your dogs were barking, just all this. If you know somebody who has a white pillowcase. Exactly, a white (laughs) pillowcase. If you know anybody that uses white pillowcases, please call us. Um, And so, again, like. Hundreds and hundreds of false leads. Right. They get kind of caught on wild goose chases. You know, um, rumors start to spread again that, you know, the police may be involved with this. That, you know, they had, they had knew who the killer was and were just covering up for this person because it was a prominent person in the, in the county. Mm-hmm. Just all these things. And it leads to absolutely nothing. To this day, these murders are still unsolved. Wow. And my personal thought is that it was somebody either within the police force or somebody in the county. Because when they see that the heat is on, all of a sudden these these murders just stop happening. Yeah. Like when they realized that, you know, all three police forces from the tri, you know, state area were coming in to work these cases. They had the FBI, the Texas Rangers, all this heat was on. And then all of a sudden they just stopped because nothing else ever happened again. Interesting. So, yeah, that's my very interesting murder. Like I said, uh, the town who feared sundown is the movie that it is uh, had had they'd made for it from it and uh so yeah you watch that movie tell us how it is comment email us 
Tell us how you like it. The town that dreaded sundown is what it's called. And, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy story. I had never heard of that. That I Good story. Thank you. Thank you. I thought it was pretty interesting, especially since, you know, people know the son of Sam, the Zodiac Killer, and these were very similar murders. Right. Couples on isolated areas, you know, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway. one of the precursors, precursors to some of to the some greats. Of the, some of the great serial killers of our time. Okay. So, yeah, that was my murder or several murders. And I don't know how to top that. Oh, no, I'm sure you got a good one. Actually, the, the Phoenix Lights, right? It's what you're doing yep. this week? Yes, that is very interesting. Okay, so what are your thoughts on aliens? You know, I am of the mindset that I don't understand why the Earth would be the only planet with intelligent life on it. Or the only planet where we, because we know that there are other planets outside our solar system that has bioavailability just like Earth does. Mm -hmm. Gonna nerd out here because I know I, I think about this a lot. Um, so I don't understand why there wouldn't be, you know, quote unquote, alien life forms out there. I don't believe they're little green men with big heads necessarily. <laughs> but I mean, aliens exist outside our Earth atmosphere. I agree with you. I agree. I don't believe that we are the only quote unquote intelligent life forms <laughs> in the entire universe. I don't believe that we are the intelligent life I, I agree with you there too. We're like the first pancake. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I there love you go. it. All right. So for those of you who couldn't hear that, my mom compared us to the first pancake. Mm. We are the ones that were thrown out. And the others are the better the ones. ones. You know, but why, just because we don't have the technology yet to make it to those other planets that are so far away and that maybe we don't even know about yet, mm -hmm. what makes us believe that other beings don't have that technology yet? I think it's just because people, us people being Earth humans, like to think that we are top of the food chain, the most intelligent beings that exist and we don't like to think about the fact that we could be the first pancake okay so i'm gonna throw this out there throw and out. be one of those, those people. people us people being not only earth people but being americans <laughs> tend to think that we are so much we better top and, the top, right? right yeah so but yes today i'm going to talk about the phoenix lights so on march 13th 1997 I don't remember where I was. <laughs> well, March 17th, 1997, I know I was in Ada, Oklahoma, but I don't remember exactly what I was doing that night. But a lot of people do. At exactly 6.55 p.m., there were several people who were watching the skies, especially those around Henderson, Nevada, when a V-shaped object was seen in the skies around that area. The object was said to be about the same size as a passenger airline. It had six lights along the front edge, and it made a whooshing noise as it moved toward the southeast. Okay. So there were some witnesses, not a lot of witnesses at this point, but some witnesses that were making some calls about that. At about 8.15, a police officer from Paulden, Arizona, said that he saw a triangular formation of about four mysterious lights 
trailed by a fifth light traveling to the south. Okay. There were several sightings in the sky over Prescott, Arizona area, and witnesses said the object was massive and it blocked out the stars over the town. Wow. Witnesses said that the lights were red or orange and there was a bright white leading light. Sometimes it was said that there was a solid object, but others claimed that the object had lights that were moving independently. So some of them believed that this was one big massive object, and then some of them believed that there were several crafts. smaller ones. Yes. Okay. So there were dozens of witnesses of all ages, of all ethnicities, of all walks of life, from all different career paths that saw these lights. As they flew closer to the greater Phoenix area, they were seen from as far as 10 miles away. Wow. So people as far as 10 miles away were witnessing these lights flying toward the Phoenix area. Wow. Uh, the lights reached Phoenix about 8.30 p.m., where they appeared to hover around the area for about two hours, and thousands of people witnessed these. Oh, wow. Okay. Not only did thousands of people witness these, because they were in the area for about two hours, there were thousands of people that were videotaping these. So I've seen Stand a lot order, of... like... Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, of course... Back in the Literally. 90s, the camcorders weren't as good as what we've got now. But there is a lot of footage. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it in documentaries. Um, there was a movie made about the Phoenix Lights, but it was very fictionized. Um, okay. I, I've seen it. it so was, what you're saying is there's enough stuff on tape that we can call this not a shared delusion. Exactly. Okay. Has a little bit of truth to it. Exactly. So, this was seen by thousands of people, but there appeared to be two separate events going on in Phoenix that night. Mm -hmm. So, there was this massive V-shaped group of lights that was seen moving through the air. Um, There was several people that seen this kind of hovering and then moving from one place to the other and it would sometimes move very quickly sometimes hover sometimes move quickly to another place sometimes moving slowly and it seemed to move in formation um so it appeared to be one massive craft but it was consistent but it was had a pattern yes okay then there was another group of lights that seemed to either be moving very slowly mm-hmm. or not moving at all to the south of Phoenix. Okay. So these were almost completely stationary, whereas the others seemed to be moving mm-hmm. either together, like one group mm-hmm. of crafts or one giant craft that were moving and then some that were just sitting there. Okay. So although thousands of people saw these, lights in Phoenix, there were also a lot of other things going on that night. There were similar lights that were seen in Las Vegas, New Mexico, other parts of Arizona, and northern Mexico. So that whole region, basically. So that that whole whole region region. was seeing similar lights. In fact, three months prior to this, there were 
areas in that western part of southwestern part of the United States and northern mm-hmm. Mexico that reported increase in incidents of these UFO type lights I being sighted. Lights. Okay. But it was spotty, it was sporadic, and they haven't really connected it to this incident. But with all of these things and with everything going on that night, the lights in Phoenix were the most dramatic because they were spotted for the longest. I mean, they were there for two hours. Okay. And thousands of people saw them at the same time. It was a more public thing. It was, yeah, not just fleeting. It was stuck around for a while. Because although in all these other areas, you did have, you know, numerous people spotting them. You had, you know, all kinds of sightings, but... You didn't have the most consistent people at the same time reporting this same exact thing. And it wasn't for a long period of time. Long period of time. Okay. So, all the thousands of people in Phoenix saw these lights and recorded these lights, the media didn't show much interest. Something really crazy and and random like that in the media doesn't care. Okay. So for two hours, you have these lights dancing around Phoenix that nobody can explain. Yeah. But the media doesn't care. And not only that, the governor of Phoenix treated it like a joke. Uh, He held, or governor of Phoenix, the governor of Arizona. The governor of Arizona. Treated it like a joke. He held a press conference with an egg standing beside him wearing an alien costume. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay, so making a mockery of what these people saw. Right. Okay. So basically, he's saying Sounds that, like a politician to me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So all these people that saw these things, all these people that were questioning what they saw, that took these videos mm-hmm. and stuff, he was, you know... He was just making light of it. Right. Yeah. Three months later. So, three months later, on June 18th, 1997, USA Today picked up the story and stated they're here in their front page section. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, this became widely talked about phenomenon. There were newspaper articles, magazine articles. Wow. It was, you know, on the news. There were documentaries. Yeah. There were, it was on all of these different. Kind of everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. All, so, of, all different types of media. Right. Yeah. Um, people were interviewing the witnesses. People were looking at these videos. You know, it was becoming talked about. Yeah. You know, ufologists were um, studying the videos. You had... Really putting work into it. Yeah. So, it was like this big thing to try and figure out what were these lights. And people started trying to investigate what was going on with these lights. Yeah. And stuff. So, when this started, three months after this... The governor of Arizona changed his story. So he went from holding this press conference saying... Laughing at these people. Yes. Nothing's going on. These are just military flares. You know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing there. Right. He then said he saw the lights too. (laughs) And that he had been a military pilot. And he knew that this was not any man-made craft. That the exhaust that was given off by these craft 
was not anything man had ever seen, and these were not any flares that he had ever seen. Okay, so true politician through and through. Exactly. Let's make fun of people and make light of the situation until it starts getting some traction, and now we're going to take it very seriously and even go as far as to say, I've seen it. And I know about these things. It's definitely alien because no man-made craft has ever looked like that before. Your classic flip-flopper. Classic (laughs) flip-flopper. So the official explanation of these lights is that it's possible military flares. Possible. Possible. And this is, uh, this does, could explain that second Set of stationary lights, uh-huh. the ones that were barely moving or were just stationary and yeah. stuff because of the consistency in the way that they were moving, the way that the wind speed that night, the direction that they were going, the pattern of the lights and the way that they dipped over the horizon and then disappeared, Yeah, that was consistent with military flares. Okay. Okay, so that craft that we saw flying across the state Mm -hmm. from Henderson, Nevada, all the way over to Phoenix. Yes. That couldn't be military flares. No, not at all. So the military denied any aircraft, um, any type of experimental craft or anything. Yeah. This wasn't on any radar that the airports had. Okay. So it was so, flying low enough that there wasn't any type of satellite. Exactly. Or, okay. Exactly. Um, there were no weather balloons out. Um, the National Weather Service did not have any weather balloons out. The military did not have any weather okay. balloons out. There were no flares that the so military no were. run of the mill. Area 51 type explanations for this. So nothing that was humanly reported. Like nothing, nothing usual that these things get written off as was actually happening. So one of the other explanations for this larger craft was that it could be several planes flying together in formation, but... There are thousands of witnesses that have claimed to see this craft. Mm -hmm. This craft was seen swooping around, and nobody said that they saw this as several different crafts. This did not break formation. It was low enough that it was not on radar. Mm -hmm. So you would think if it was that low, people would have seen if it was more than one craft. Yeah, um, you would if it was multiple crafts, there's no way that anybody's flying abilities would be able to hold formation like that slow enough under the radar that they could, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like right. it would be unprecedented to be, have that ability for all of these different pilots to be yes. able to hold a formation like that. And witnesses you know. said that this made a whooshing sound or no sound at all. Okay. There was no roaring sound like any type of jets or any type of aircraft that we know. Okay. So, so yeah, there's there's no way it doesn't match any descriptions of any stealth planes or any jets right. or anything like that. So, this could be some super secret military craft that we don't know about. 
but that we still don't, don't know, know about, about all these years later. Right. Like the uh the the V shaped you right, didn't they say that it was like a V shaped yes. type thing? I mean that almost makes me think of uh what is the stealth bomber that they have that is yes. the V shaped? I can't remember what the name of it is. But it still makes a loud noise. It's not yeah, I was super, say, it's super not quiet. quiet. It's not quiet. And I mean, this was in 97. I'm not sure they might have been testing prototypes. But like you said, it wouldn't be quiet. There would It would definitely have that same jet sound. And I don't think it know. could hover. Yeah, I was going to say, the stealth was known for going fast, right? Their stealth mm-hmm. bombers were Yeah, it, fast, it could so. go fast and it could fly under the radar, but I don't think it could none hover. Of our, I was going to say, none of our fighter planes or anything like that actually hover. They have to be, you know, going forward. Right. They have, yeah. And, I mean, you could maybe a drone, but a drone wouldn't be that big. Yeah. Yeah. A pack so. of drones, maybe. <laughs> But, you know, this is the 90s. Again, again, and you're talking about the pilot ship being, like, the pilots being able to have that sort of airmanship to to do that. Right. And hold formation. Even with drones, that would be unprecedented. Um, This isn't a Marvel movie. Exactly. That we know of. (laughs) That we know of. You know, my favorite conspiracy theory going around is that we're all in the MCU. That we're all, you know, just part of Stan Lee's world. Okay. And I, I could live with that. Well, where's my Iron Man? Well, I mean, exactly. come on. Tony Stark, man. So, so no logical explanation. Right. So many thousands of people being able to see this and corroborate each other's, you know, stories. So, as of today, and we're recording this on, what is it, March 15th, 2020. 2020. So, this is still a technical UFO. Mystery? Unidentified flying object. Wow. That nobody's so, ever taken any credit for. Exactly. So, see, the thing the thing about it is with the UFOs and the Area 51 and all the aliens, like, not that I've ever spent a lot of time in the Southwest, but what's there that's so fascinating? <laughs> I all of this, All of this stuff tends to happen in the Southwest. But, you know. they do have a lot of um, bomb ranges and a lot of their military bases and Training stuff bases and out things. there in the desert because there's no, no population, yeah, and stuff. So they can, you know, experiment do those with things. those. Do those things. And so I mean, that could be it. Um, I don't know. You would, Just because it's unidentified doesn't mean it's alien. Exactly. Exactly. It just means we don't know what it and is. I mean, and as far you know, go into like government conspiracy. I'm sure there's things, I'm also one of those people, I'm sure there's things that the government has in their arsenals that we don't know anything about, that we will never know anything about. Do I think it's as cool as, like, a hover plane? I mean, for surveillance and things like that would be great, but how many wars have we fought since the 90s that we've never been able to use that type of intelligence, you know, aircraft? So, if they had this in their arsenal, you would think that they would be utilizing it. So, maybe the U.S. government hiding a stealth plane from us is kind of far-fetched. You know, I think we would know about it by now. I would think we would know about it by now. Well, I mean, the stealth bombers fly over every air show ever. They're so proud of those stealth bombers. So, anything that was being tested in 97 would be If it was a success... 
so far outdated in 2020, 20, we would yeah. already know about it. Well, and I mean, and if it was a success, it would be shown off at every possible If it was chance. a failure, we would probably know about it you anyway know, because it didn't make the cut. Yeah. So, so it stands to reason that these could be quote-unquote alien spacecrafts, maybe from another solar system. Or maybe it was swamp gas flying around Maybe the it was swamp gas, you know. Who knows at this point? Um, it's always very interesting to me to hear these stories from people, especially people that live in the Southwest and, like, people that have, like, made that their home because of these UFO sightings and these, you know, the the lights and the, you know. Like, in, in East Texas, what is it? In East Texas, Marfa, Texas, they have the mm -hmm. Marfa lights. Yep. That also happen out there in the, kind of the same type of environment, right? right? Desert ish area that's the that's the reason that aliens haven't landed here to talk to us they fly over the wrong parts they think it's just desert apparently yeah. <laughs> they don't ever like go see new york or something and want to make contact with us they new just york think that we're Indian. yeah well it's kind of <laughs> like what was it lewis and clark who came into oklahoma yeah. on the west side and, and said that it was that it uninhabitable was, yeah and didn't even see our beautiful eastern oklahoma exactly the green country right <laughs> All right, well, that's but super interesting, yeah. I love aliens. It's always aliens. That's always. my thought. Every but time. my lovely and wonderful mama said that she had an alien story, so we're going to let seen her a UFO, tell us her story, and then we want you to tell us your stories. So if you have an alien story or a ghost story or a true crime story, send it to murderandmysterycast at gmail.com. And take it away, Gina. Okay, I was young, probably five years old somewhere, lived in Preston, Oklahoma. Okay. We were standing outside. We had a well that you drew water from. Uh-huh. And we were all standing outside just messing mom, dad, and my brothers and sisters. And uh, it was dark, and this light come over us. It was huge, just a big, huge light, and it actually stopped over the top of us. Absolutely no sound whatsoever. Oh, wow. And it just like it just appeared. It just swam and was there and it stopped over the top of us. And then it moved and it it looked like it landed in our pasture. Uh -huh. But my dad was too scared to go down and see what it was. Wow. Really? And stuff because, they, well, I mean, it was huge, big lights and not a sound in this world. I mean, it was just silent. Wow. Huh. So it was it was weird and this was like in like I said, sixty four. Okay. Yeah. Well that was a long time ago and then you never heard anything else, you know. Did anybody else ever see did anybody else in that area ever say anything? Not that about I it? know of and I'm I'm sure people had to because it's it's out in the country, you'd think that right. people seen it and stuff and yeah. stuff, but I know my family. Did everybody? Um, yeah. Did. Wow. That's really cool. That is. Because I went to bed that night, couldn't go to sleep because I was thinking there was aliens in the past. Right. And you <laughs> and thought, we, yeah. Green men, right? We never seen it leave, but when it came up, it, it was didn't just have gone. lights on. Uh huh. So when it got over us, the lights come on. Oh, and, and so it just like on. illuminated you guys yes. and then flew over. Flew over. Yeah. So it wow. could have like just left and because left you didn't and, hear anything and yeah, it didn't have lights until it got to you, yeah. you might not have. Yeah. Well, I obviously, like you know, I work in Oakmulgee and I drive past 
Preston Road all the yeah. time in that yeah. area. And I can tell you at night, that area is really dark. Yes. So any lights in that area are going to be very noticeable. noticeable. Yeah. And wow. stuff and any sounds I can imagine would be you know, yeah. noticeable. So not having a sound and being in that area. Well, and we and it was like we were we were standing in the yard. We yeah, were all outside at this time. You know, and that happened. Wow, so it was weird. It was weird. I have never seen a UFO, and I've always wanted to. I've always watched the sky. Always looked for one. So that is really amazing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Maybe we're gonna have to take a trip out to Preston and camp out. There you yeah. go. Maybe maybe we could see it again. Take a road trip to Marfa and go see the Marfa lights. That would be awesome. I've yeah. always wanted to do that because I've seen, like, documentaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. All right. Well, thank you, Mom. Yeah, and, thank uh, you. Again, ghost stories, urban legends, uh, UFO encounters, any type of story that you would like to tell us about. Uh, any type of story that you would like to hear us cover, research, and cover for you guys, um, hit us up on Facebook, Murder and Mystery Podcast, on Instagram, Murder and Mystery Podcast, Murder and Mystery Cast at gmail.com, and Murder and Mystery on Twitter. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. Say bye. Bye. Bye.